Well, good morning. Welcome to La Jolla Community Church. We are glad to have you with us this morning for worship. If you're able, would you stand to your feet and uh, let us sing together, Be Thou My Vision.
bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul, worship His holy name, sing like never before, oh my soul, I worship Your holy name. up it's a new day dawning it's time to sing your song again whatever may pass and whatever lies before me let me be singing when the join with me as we pray together. Heavenly Father, as we reflect on today's scriptures, we are reminded that although we aren't always able to understand what you are communicating or to discern your messaging to us amidst life circumstances, we can trust that you'll always find a way to bring clarity. You have placed us here at this time, and you are trusting us to keep our eyes on you and to bring the light of the gospel into this place. 
when we walk with you, as our days are, so shall our strength be. And we ask that you release the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives to teach us and to train our ears to hear your words and our hearts to discern your truth. As it is written, eye has not seen nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received, not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. And Father, as your Son, our Savior Jesus Christ promised, if you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans, I will come to you. So, Father, we thank you that as you send us into the world to be your witnesses, your Spirit doesn't simply go with us, but is actually dwelling within us. Even without opening our mouths, your very presence within us affects everything around us. And as we have been transformed by the renewing of our minds, there will be transformation to all that is around us. And we should not worry about how or what we should speak, for it will be given to us in that hour what we should speak. For it is not us who speaks, but the Spirit of our Father who speaks in us. For the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and it is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And let us stir up the gift of God which is in us, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So, Lord, make us an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let us sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. Grant that we may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, it is in dying to self that we are born to eternal life. Amen. Well, good morning and welcome to La Jolla Community Church. We're glad to have you with us this morning for worship. Thanks for joining us. Just a couple of quick reminders. On your way inside, you should have received a bulletin. On the bulletin, we have a prayer card and a connect card. Um, they're on either side. You can tear it off right in the middle. Um, if you're joining us for the first time today, please take a second and fill out the connect card. Help us get to know you. And then also, um, if you or anybody you know needs prayer, take a moment, um, fill out that prayer card, and we would love to pray for you. Um, after the service, um, uh, take these cards along with any tithes or offerings, drop them off in the baskets in the foyer or on the box uh, by the entrance on the wall. And uh, now I'd like to continue on in worship with a message of Pastor Steve Murray. Oh my gosh, that prayer from Mike. Was that not powerful? That was awesome. Um, and that, that's really, as I thought about the prayer, I thought, okay, God, he's leading us to God in prayer. And as he's praying, he's, he's using scripture. And I think if you ever get stuck when you're praying, and you keep saying the same things over and over again, you don't know how to pray because you're so bored with yourself praying, uh, open the Bible and pray the words of the scripture. Open a psalm and pray through the psalm. Pray through, pretty much open it in the Bible, start praying, uh, Lord, I, and this will give you uh, the words and it'll put you in the groove to understand how to think theologically and express that in a conversation with God, which is what prayer is. All of us are intimidated, feel dis, you know, disqualified, unqualified, um, insecure when it comes to praying anyway, or especially in public, but it's such a normative thing, and this is the way we capture that. So thank you, Mike, for helping us do that. 
Um, about 30 years ago, I was sitting in uh, my second office. I had an office at this church in Newport Beach, but um, I also had an office at Coco's. And, and do you remember Coco's? I don't even know if they exist anymore. I mean, I, I imagine at some point people said, this isn't actually very good food. Why are we here? You know, I don't know. Um, that it was convenient. And then uh, I was there one time with uh, our then four-year-old daughter, Lauren, and we're sitting there, and the place is full, and you know, people are really a little buzzy, people talking, and I'm, she's about, maybe she's three, and she's sitting there, and we're talking, and all of a sudden she looks around, <clears throat> she stands up on the booth and goes, hi, everybody! <laughs> and I was mortified, shocked, and I started, I started laughing, and the whole place is like, yay, you know, they're laughing. So would you just please do this for a moment? Just stand up and look around and say, hi, everybody. Just don't worry about going up and saying, grabbing a hand. Just turn around and tell everybody, hi. Say hi to the people around you. Hi, okay? Just say hi to the people around you. Thank you. Yes, okay. Now that you're all friends, uh, now that we are deeply connected as the people of God, uh, <laughs> oh, it's fun to, to welcome Rand and Paula back from the North Country. Uh, back, wow. Wow. Uh, Rand and Paula take back Del Mar. This is, this is what's going on here. Thank you for being here. Wow. Yes, yeah, fun. Um, so here we are. Uh, we're, we're in this series talking about the, that God is in the details. God is in the details. Uh, Mike's prayer reminded us of that. All those details that constitute the kingdom of God, the movement of God um, on, on earth. And it just is stunning. Uh, it's stunning. And, and the sad thing is that most of us, uh, unless we're connected to somebody who's experiencing it, don't have access to it. We just don't know. We just don't know. Uh, how do you feel when you hear about the newest, latest, greatest technology that ev- everybody is using? You think, I haven't even heard of it. What is it? You know? And, and uh, you're late to the party. Uh, if you're thinking of doing a, a two-minute dance thing on TikTok, it's too late. It's like, like you're two billion people too late to do that. There's a guy here in town, uh, Jim Frager, his daughter said, Dad, let's do a, a, dan- a dance routine on TikTok. And this is like eight years ago. And in five seconds, they had 20 million followers. Um, needless to say, Jim has not reproduced those records because that's like, really, a dad dancing? That was so awesome then, and it's so lame now. So don't even try it. Don't think about it. Um, so how do we pull people in to this incredible experience? Well, we have to pay attention to the details. God is showing us all kinds of details about who he is, what he's doing, why he's doing it, what our part of it is. So uh, we continue that conversation uh, today, and we're talking, um, well, let me start with this way. Uh, what's your favorite story or song? Uh, you don't have to blurt it out or sing it or tell it, but just think about it. Do you have a favorite story? Or when you think of stories that you really like, can you think of some? Do you think of songs you really like? Uh, what comes to mind? You know, uh, could you get up and sing it? Could you tell us the words to it? And you might have songs from different genres of music. You might have songs that were more jazzy. Uh, maybe you go, oh yeah, I love that song, Fly Me to the Moon. Or maybe you're, you're still getting over the haze of your misspent youth, and you say, my favorite song is Louie Louie and Inagata De Vida. Or you, are, you love pop music, and you're thinking... You're, you're singing something by the Archies, you know, the ancient music, or now you're singing something, you know, maybe that you heard and it's just so catchy, it's an earworm and you can't get it out of your head. Maybe that's going on for you right now. I don't know. Um, recently, I, I, um, uh, I, I was listening to some music that, that Craig and I were talking about, gosh, this would be great worship music. And it turned out that through a series of interesting you know, mashups, uh, I would, wouldn't call them coincidences because you know God doesn't do coincidences. Coincidences. So it was a God incidence. Uh, I found myself sitting in our backyard having a cup of tea with the guy that produced these things. So he's a music producer, and he's he's a phenomenal, really creative guy. And so here I am sitting with the guy that produced all these things, wrote some of them, produced them, created the environment for the, these songs to be written, and they're amazing. Well, what was funny is, you know, you have that moment when you're with somebody who's doing something creative that you really liked, and now you get to tell them what your experience was. So I said, hey, you know, uh, I don't know, I, I, I don't, I'm not trying to put you in a box or take anything away from what you did, but man, that sounded like earth, wind, and fire. 
The guy goes, yes, yes. That was the vibe we were going for. for two 14-year-old girls, uh, uh, four years ago, wrote that song. I'm like, they were 14, two, four years ago, and or so, and they wrote a song that sounded like Earth, Wind, and Fire? Yeah, they just loved the music. I'm like, oh my gosh. I said, also, I heard Curtis Mayfield in there. He's like, yes! And, and so, all, so we're having these, this conversation about all these different musical components. You know, there was a Marvin Gaye thing going on in there. There was a, a Mumford & Son thing happening. He goes, yes! And so we had the best, most fun time talking about this. They were unpacking all these musical references. And we started thinking about more and more songs. And, and everything he did was unique. And it was all about racial reconciliation. All of it, powerful. It's called the Urban Doxology. He's produced uh, several phenomenal albums. And there's other groups doing this around the country. They're uniting worship leaders and songwriters uh, to talk about themes. And this was the theme for him and these two. Turns out we had a bunch of friends in common. So it was one of those things where, oh my gosh, we started telling stories. Not, can you top this stories? But stories about, yeah, that reminds me of. And it turns out we knew this one really wonderful man, John Perkins, who's now 92, and so we started telling John Perkins stories. So what stories come to your mind when you think of my favorite stories or my favorite songs? Uh, how about your favorite lecture from college? No. And I'm not even going to ask about your favorite sermon. <laughs> you go, oh, I'm sure there's one in there. I just can't think of it right now. Uh, but uh, why are some things hard to remember and some things easy to remember? And, and, and I don't have, if you ask me, put me on the spot, I walk out there after the service, you say, okay, favorite story, favorite song. I, I'm like, uh. But what happens for me is if I'm in conversations with people, just being in the conversation connects me to a story. It might have nothing to do with what we're talking about, but it reminds me of something that is germane to, ultimately, what we're talking about. Or a song, like I did with uh, this really neat fellow. And what's going on there? Uh, and let me put it this way. If you remember anything, it's actually because there's an emotional or relational connection. If you remember anything, there's some emotional, some relational connection. And it might not be specifically related to that song or story, but it's coincident with it. I was 16 and I heard this song. I was, on the, I was in love for the first time in this song, or when we got married, or... I saw this movie and the story has stayed with me and now as a parent, uh, I, I, I saw this intense movie, Sophie's Choice, and I can't imagine giving up one of my kids to save the other, you know, so, et cetera, et cetera. So for me, it's prompted by an emotional or relational connection. And it might prompt me and connect me to things that aren't even connected to what we're talking about at the time. They're not random because they're part of now what is my worldview or my experience of life. Are you with me so far? So this is a powerful thing. Uh, and these things are memorable. Why? Because they create interest. When you first heard that song, there was something going on in the lyrics or the way it was put together. Uh, it overcame your indifference. I don't like that kind of music. Okay, well, just listen to this song. Or I don't like that kind of food. And you try it, and you're with the right people, and all of a sudden you realize, oh my gosh. This is why that wine you, you were raving to your friends about, you tried in France or Italy, that cost five bucks. And when you come back to the United States and you, you buy it and, you get, and you're embarrassed because you, this was $5 wine for sure. This wine is so bad. Why was it so good uh, at, at, at um, Villa San Lucchese looking over the Chianti countryside? Well, because you were, at, you were at Villa San Lucchese on a perfect night overlooking the Chianti countryside with people you love and they could have given you WD-40 with your pasta and you said, this is the best WD-40 I've ever had. They're memorable because they create interest. They overcome indifference. They engage our imagination. That's why these things are memorable. When something engages our imagination, prompts our interest, overcomes our indifference or our fear, meets a need, it becomes irresistibly attractive. We want to go back again and again and again. And you might laugh years later listening to a song going, that is the lamest song but it still prompts good memories because I was so I was, I was experiencing life in a really profound way. This is why I love it when I hear some person who does music that is so out there. Um, maybe it's thrasher type, you know, heavy metal, death metal music, and the guy goes, "Yeah, I just I, the biggest influence in my life was the Carpenters." And you go, "The what?" 
how did that music connect to this music, right? Because it evoked something in me at an impressionable time, and it changed the course of my life, and now I do this kind of whatever it is, and it's so radically different, it doesn't matter, because it's connected to an emotional, relational reality that isn't MSG. You'll get over it, you know, 20 minutes you'll be hungry again. Rather, it's, it's with me because it, it touched something deeply and moved me into a whole other place and space in my life. Okay, so these things stay with us over time because they're sticky. And they have a hook that engages us. So a great song has a hook. That's why a great hymn. Martin Luther wrote hymns like a mighty fortress is our God because he said, where do people go to hang? They go to pubs. Let's take a pub song and replace the words with good theology. And next thing you know, guys are going, I love this song. I can't remember why. Well, because it's a familiar pub song. It's sticky. It's got a hook. And now we're giving you content that takes you to a whole better place, another place. So if you read the Bible, you'll see that Jesus tells sticky stories with hooks. And they're called parables. They're called parables. And we all know what a parable is, kind of. It's a story with some kind of point, right? That's true. Uh, parables are stories with a point that open our minds to important things that matter. Uh, they're accessible, uh, they're memorable stories uh, that connect us to reality, and they resonate with us because they're true. Now, it might be a made-up story in the sense that it's a man went and did this or a woman did that, but they're true in the way that they resonate with us and, and they, they reflect real life. Um, as opposed to, say, a riddle. What is a riddle? A riddle uh, is very different than a parable, but I've heard people use the term riddle with, for parable. Now, a riddle, uh, here's a riddle. Uh, for all of you math buffs, this is a big math challenge. As I was going to St. Ives, I met a man with seven wives. Each wife had seven sacks. Each sack had seven cats. Each cat had seven kits. Kits, cats, sacks, wives. How many were going to St. Ives? And the answer is one. All the math people are still going, no, I'm not done yet. But the listeners are going, yeah, he said, as I was going to St. Ives. Uh, what has four legs and one foot? A bed. What gets bigger the more you take away? A hole. Or the U.S. Treasury. I can't remember what the answer is on that one. <laughs> It has one voice, but four legs in the morning, two legs in the afternoon, and three legs in the evening. This was what the Sphinx said to Oedipus by way of a life-threatening challenge. And the answer is, a baby has four legs in the morning, a mature adult has two legs in the afternoon, and an old, old, old person has three legs in the evening because they have a cane. I can go on and on and on, and because I care about you, I will not. Why? Why? Because riddles don't take us anywhere. They're brain teasers. They're clever. They're cute. But really, riddles are contests that challenge us. Hey, what, can you figure this out? And at the end of it, who cares? It doesn't resonate with you. That's true. That's really true. A bed has, you know, who cares? They're clever, but they're more like, hey, you know, I'm going I'm to make you embarrassed, or I'm going to make you feel dumb, or I'm going to share how smart I am. Parables, on the other hand, invite us into conversations that change us. So if a riddle is a contest that challenges us, a parable, a parable is, is inviting us into a conversation that will potentially change us. Parables are profound, easy to underestimate, easy to overlook, easy to reduce to something that they're not. We're going to talk about that a little bit. So Jesus' parables give us revealed revealed, something we wouldn't know otherwise, revealed and essential truth. They're not just riddles, oh, that's interesting, let's get back to real life. It's revealing something that's essentially true that is absolutely important for us so that we can understand God's kingdom. So here's uh, Matthew 13, 1 through 9. Everybody here knows this backwards and forwards if you've ever been in church or read the Bible. Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. This is uh, the Sea of Galilee, Lake Capernaum, whatever you want to call it. Um, such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, 
A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop. A hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Super familiar. Uh, Everybody hearing this parable, whether they were a friend of Jesus or a foe of Jesus, would understand the basic truth of the story. Nobody would say, hey, what's with the seed and the guy? You know, they would say, yeah, that's what farmers do. They throw seed. Here's what happens if the seed goes here or there. And so while the language and story is clear, this is true for a parable, Jesus' point in presenting this parable is not obvious. Right? On the face of it, right there, you know where it goes. But right now you're going, all right, compelling, interesting. Well, I hadn't really thought about it that way, but yeah, I can see these things happen. I, I, I guess that all could happen on the way to a harvest, but I hadn't really thought about it. But, or yeah, that's happened to me. So you're, that's where we are. And so what's, first one observation is that Jesus told stories that made, made people care to know more about him and about what he was doing. That's one of the reasons he told these stories. And it says he was testing the crowd. He was qualifying the crowd. Who am I speaking to? So what does it say? The people stood on the shore. And there were so many of them, such large crowds, that he told this parable. It's kind of like that moment on a flight when they say, you know, by the way, this flight is going to... I don't know if that's ever happened to you. Pretty hard now with the way security works, but to this day, you'll, okay, I'll occasionally be on a flight and they'll say, oh, by the way, this flight to Phoenix or this flight to San Diego or to Texas or this flight to Oregon, and all of a sudden he goes, oh my gosh! You know, you know, so it says Jesus is saying, this is where we're going. And either people leaning in and they're going, why did I come? So as you read the Bible, you'll see Jesus asking questions to get to the heart of things. This is where this thing goes. He's, he's in a sense telling you a parable, but really he's asking a question. Are you hungry and thirsty for God? Why? This comes out of the Sermon on the Mount. This is following the Sermon on the Mount, which sets us up for the entire book of Matthew. The Sermon on the Mount, and within the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes. So what he's doing, God is in the details. He's giving us more detail about what he talked about in the Sermon on the Mount and in the Beatitudes. And so we're going to see Jesus asking questions to get to the heart of things. So you know that someone cares about you when they ask questions and show interest in you, right? Uh, it, doesn't, it never ceases to amaze me. It could be almost every week, but probably not every week, but at least every month. I'm in some situation where there's somebody who asks no questions about anybody. It's shocking. I think, does that still happen? And you'll ask questions about them, not to be polite, just because you're, you're curious. I want to know who you are. Tell me your story. And they don't ask questions. They make pronouncements. They tell you this, they tell you that, but they don't ask questions. Uh, now, people who ask you questions you generally show interest in you because they care. Now, we can do this inauthentically, but let me put it the other way, extremely. If someone never asks good questions, they don't care. They just don't care. Maybe nobody's ever taught them to care, but at some point they don't care. If they really cared, they'd even say, you know, I have no idea how to have a conversation. I'm not very good at this, but can you tell me about you? What would you like to tell me about you that would help me get to know you? But here we see the disciples came to Jesus and asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? They asked a really good question. Apparently they're people who care. Now, part of maybe the sub thing going on here is when they say, why do you speak to the people in parables? It's a little bit of, I have no idea what you're talking about, but why do you talk to those people in parables? <laughs> and by the way, while you're answering it for them, I'll know what you're talking about. We don't know. Uh, or later in this chapter, uh, Jesus says, now do you understand these things? And yes, they replied. And the, the cynic in me says, the answer should have been, yes, they lied. <laughs> goes, How do you know? I mean, until somebody tells you, this is what I'm talking about. And, and these parables, uh, we'll see, um, are not always that straightforward. So they asked him the question, why do you speak to people in parables? Jesus' answer was probably not what they expected. 
Anytime uh, you read this, it will catch you up short. I've read this a lot of times uh, over my adult life. It still catches me up short, Jesus' response. He replied, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. Whoa. Wow. Apparently Jesus wasn't a motivational speaker trying to build a crowd. And he says, this is why I speak to them in parables. Those seeing, they do not see. Those hearing, they do not hear or understand. Again, one of the things you see in parables is not everything is resolved for us. It makes us ask questions. Because the parable is in a sense in, you know, asking us questions. Do you understand this? What is happening in you as you're reading this? What's going through your mind as you're reading this? Well, maybe these people don't have the capacity. Maybe that's not the problem. Maybe if the problem is so, maybe if the parable is so straightforward, they should have the capacity, but somehow they choose not to have the capacity. We don't know. So anyway, these words uh, weigh heavy on me. How about you? They weigh heavy on me. I, I, I understand theologically what's going on. I, I understand how, how to resolve this. It still weighs heavy on me. If we skip over this and it doesn't weigh heavy on you, you're not paying attention. Because it raises questions for me, like, is Jesus indifferent? No, we are. We are indifferent. He's not blocking our ears or blocking our eyes. We choose not to hear, choose not to see. Uh, does God love the whole world? Well, well, yes, yes. Pretty clear in Scripture, he does. It's his grace offered to all who come to him in faith and repentance. Well, yes. We'll all be saved. And it's silence. You're familiar with the term crickets? It's a weird thing. It's a weird thing. Yeah, you know, crickets. I'm like, first time I heard it, I thought, what does that have to do with anything? Because I understood the context was it's supposed to be silent, but crickets make a lot of noise. And I came to understand that cricket just means when you're out in a wild place and it's super quiet, all you hear are crickets and frogs. Or some guy somewhere down the line going, where's my flashlight? I can't see anything out here. So Jesus goes on to say by way of explanation, in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. This is out of Isaiah chapter 6. You will be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes. Now, I'm going to give these people a, a, a little bit of a break. I'm going to say maybe their hearts aren't callous. Maybe they're just clueless. And I, I'm, going to, uh, um, I'm going to go full confession here uh, about y- you guys. Um, the guy who is listening to his wife, is, he says, I'm listening to you. But what really is going on, because she's very frustrated, because she's saying, you're not listening to me. What's going on is he's hearing her, but he's not listening to her. It's a conversation or conflict you're having with somebody trying to resolve it. They just keep saying the same thing over and over again. And you're saying, you're not listening to me. Oh, yeah, I heard what you said. And they just keep, it's like back in the day when you had reel-to-reel tape recorders. Uh, While you're giving your message, they're just rewinding and giving you the message over again. They're not recording. And so we can't be clueless. We just not, we're not good listeners. As I was going to St. Ives, and there's still somebody trying to figure out the math on that. Seven times seven times seven. But he's saying their hearts are calloused. They're so used to defending themselves from anybody else or anything else that they built up this callous in their heart. They no longer have feeling. You know those fancy chefs that a pan is on the oven and they grab it? And you're thinking, you'd be running around going, ah! And this guy's going, 
Oh, my finger. <laughs> Calloused, inured to the sensation of response. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn. And I would heal them. Oh, wait, this is what's going on. There's a, a practical, practiced resistance and indifference and disdain that causes people to say, I'm really not interested in what you're saying, Jesus. I really don't care. For everybody else, maybe those weaklings, those people who are naive and gullible, I'm too smart. I'm too sophisticated. I am just so together and so competent in my own capacities and confident in those capacities that really what you're talking about is maybe for all those losers out there. Because I'm offended you'd even suggest that I need what you're offering. So this is, this is where it goes ultimately. Um, it, there's a term that came out of, um, I think it was Richard or Reinhold Niebuhr. They started talking about people in the United States who were very sophisticated and resistant to the gospel uh, in the 40s as cultured despisers. Cultured despisers. They'd grown up in, a, in, in Christendom, a Christian culture of sorts, and a lot of them had roots or histories related to the church, but they were now so sophisticated post-World War II that they were really, oh, you just don't believe that stuff? We live in a scientific age. Get with the program. And so they, these, you know, Niebuhr, the Niebuhr brothers had come from Germany, became brilliant scholars and theologians and philosophers in the United States. Uh, the Serenity Prayer, uh, that's Reinhold Niebuhr. But they said, these people have become cultured despisers. That They look so together but they despise any interference from God. Now we, we can do that so, with such, such sophistication. A friend of mine was uh, hoping to go to a, a British military academy um, and uh, he had to meet with a, a committee of people and he was super qualified. He would have been a phenomenal candidate. Notice I'm saying he would have been. And he meets with this group of people uh, and the first guy says, so tell me, what does your father do? Uh, he does this. Hmm, hmm interesting. And uh, was he ever in the military? Uh, yes, sir, he was. And what rank was he? Oh, well, interesting. Yeah, good, great. Next, next guy goes, well, and they just take him apart. He said he felt so humiliated being taken apart by these guys, not for his capacities, not for his potential, but because for his artificial social standing in a dying British hierarchy, a crumbling, empty, collapsing in on itself hierarchy. This is what a culture despiser looks like. This is what Jesus is talking about. They have ears, but they don't want to hear. They've got eyes, they don't want to see. Yeah, we noticed a miracle. Uh, I was probably the devil. Oh, okay. The modern version? Oh, yeah, the miracle. They didn't know anything about medicine back then. God love them. They didn't know. So, you know, superstitious people, naive. But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For truly I tell you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see, but did not see it. For from hardness of heart, no. They were the prophets saying, this is coming. God is going to keep his promises. God is going to fulfill uh, his commitment to redeem all creation. He's working through these chosen people, raising up prophets and priests and kings, preparing a people for a new heaven and a new earth. And so Jesus is saying, blessed are your eyes because you get to see this stuff. Your ears, you get to hear this stuff. Because I'm telling you, many prophets and righteous people, righteous people, Long to see what you see, but did not see it. And to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. But you get to hear this. And everybody with us today got to hear it. And so then he says, listen to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. Oh my gosh, we have an enemy. I didn't really thought about it. Okay. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. 
wow, it was emotional and relational for them, but it never got deep. Oh, wow. They assumed that initial experience was as good or as necessary as it needed to be. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word. Now, a word on this deceitfulness of wealth, I don't think wealth is deceitful. I think wealth is absolutely truthful. It reveals who we really are. You give somebody a lot of wealth, you get to see exactly who they are. I was talking to a fellow about this a couple years ago, and uh, he was he's saying, you know, my big problem is, you know, I started out saying, God, if I could just have a million dollars in the bank, whoa, it would free up to serve you. Because then it went up to five. Then it went to 10. Then my prayer was 20. Uh, at the time I was talking to him, it was about 40. Since then, he mentioned it to me, it's about 80. Because I just have a hard time letting go of it. Like, well, actually, maybe you want to check again because it's not letting go of you. The deceitfulness of wealth, it's actually telling us a lot. The deceitfulness of fame, the deceitfulness of prestige, power, accomplishment. None of it bad, as long as it's authentic and under the service of the one who entrusted you to with it. It's deceitful when you say, I did this, it's, it's mine. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30. The, the, number, uh, the, the amount of the crop, the multiple, isn't what matters. It's the fact that the crop is growing. Uh, I, just, I literally just harvested uh, the first part of our potato harvest. It was an awesome harvest. I actually took the potato in. It was this big. I carefully peeled it. Chop, 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 chop. And I ate it. It was delicious. It, it doesn't matter to me. So we said, wait, you got one potato out of that garden? What do you mean just one? I got one. I got a potato. There was no potato there, and now there was a potato there. It's a day of celebration. Okay, we see that Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God and how we respond to it. That's what's going on here. Somebody maybe first heard it and said, well, that's good for farmers in the group. I hope that helps them. Got anything about this for fishermen? But no, all of a sudden we realize this is not about farming practices. It's about your spiritual life. And more so, it's about the kingdom of God. He's telling us about the kingdom of God. Parables are not about us. They're about the kingdom of God. And it includes us. Just like um, you can be saved, here's how, is not the gospel. You can be saved, here's how, it is not the gospel. Here's the gospel. Jesus is Lord. You can be saved, and here's how. The parables aren't, you can have a better life. No, the parables are about God, the life giver, is here. In him, you can have a better life. You see how we right-size that? So that's essentially what Jesus' parables do. They reveal or they conceal. Not because he's trying to keep anybody out of the kingdom. He's just saying, if you're interested, let me know. A guy, he's, he's long gone now, but he was a speaker go all over the place, and he, as he was flying, inevitably somebody on the plane would say, hey, what do you do? And he had kind of figured out what he would say because either he could get a nap or do some work or have a great conversation. So in the nicest way, he'd say, you know, I tell people how they can have an, a, a new life and the life they were made for in Jesus Christ. I, you know, I, I tell interested people these things. Are you interested? And he'd have a lot of naps. A lot of people said, uh, no, thanks. That's what Jesus is doing. Some are obvious, some parables are obvious, some are obscure. All of them matter if you take the time to understand them. So his parables reveal his mission, which is inaugurating the kingdom of God. This is why you should read the parables. Because otherwise you're going to get bored Going, that's not really for me. The woman who lost 10 coins. Eh, okay, what's the next one? Uh, none of these really relate to me. Get over it. They're not about you. They're about the kingdom of God. If you read them from the perspective of these are about the kingdom of God, every one of them makes your eyes go big and you go, whoa. What are the implications of that for me? And the decisions I'm making, the commitments I'm making, the promises I'm keeping. 
And so God's kingdom among us in Jesus makes it possible for us to know God. We can't take credit for it. We can't even qualify for it. But if we can open our hearts and minds and hands to him, it's given. So like the disciples, we need help understanding the parables. And we can train our eyes and our ears. If you're not in a life group, you're not in training. If you're not in a a methodical Bible reading process, you're not in training. If you're not having conversations with people about what you're learning and how you're wrestling with it, you're not in training. In every situation, we rise to the level of our training. So finally you're on a plane and somebody says, hey, so what do you believe? I believe in Jesus. Really, tell me about it. Crickets. Uh, I have speed dial. I have Rand Mulford on speed dial. He can tell you. Uh, the plane won't allow you to make a phone call. Oh, hold on a second. We get to San Diego. No, it's ridiculous. If you're not in training, you're not ready. You know, I've taken CPR. I, I, I want to apologize right now to the person who needs it. Because it's been so long since they did it, I'd just be going, uh, hey, you. you know. And so training is essential for us. We can train our ears and our eyes. And like the disciples, we've got to humble ourselves to thoughtfully reflect on these parables so that we can understand them. It's not secret info that only a few people have. It's open to everybody who has ears to hear and eyes to see, who wants to know. And so the Lord resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. He provides what anybody needs as they say, this is my need. Our Heavenly Father meets us in our humility and in our openness to Him. That's not a work. Well, you're saying you have to do a certain work. to No, it's an attitude. It's a, it's a disposition. I'm open or I'm not. I'm interested or I'm not. I don't know how many times I've talked to people who say, you know, I'm not in a life group because they really don't know the Bible. I'm like, well, then how are you going to get to know the Bible? This is an impossible situation. If you don't know the Bible, that's why you should be in a life group. And if you know the Bible, you should be in a life group too. So the Holy Spirit opens our ears and eyes to understand God's kingdom. This is the power of it. There's somebody who's going to train us. The Word of God, the Holy Spirit, the people of God train us to have eyes that see and know what we're looking at. If you go fly fishing this summer, you'll be with a fly fishing guide probably who says, oh my God, oh, yeah. oh. you go, what? Oh, that fish was nibbling on your, on your fly. What? How did you, how could you? He goes, just watch. And you think this is like mystical, uh, you know, I may as well sit in a lotus position and go, hmm, fish. It's just, it, I don't see the connection. You hang with that guide long enough and all of a sudden you're going, I'm seeing fish. I'm seeing where my fly landed. I'm, my timing is getting better. I'm watching the fish approach. I see the fish start to bump it and I set the hook. What happened? I'm listening to the guide and I'm learning how to see the fish. Training, practical. That's why we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Okay. Let's see if we can land this plane. What do you think? Um, parallel, I mean, parables and poems are very similar. Par- parables and poems are very similar. We, we are a nation that does not read poetry, by the way. If your kid came home and said, good news, I decided on my major at this very expensive college. What is it? Poetry. You go, oh no! Don't take a loan out. You'll never be able to pay it back, right? Poetry. But poetry is profound. A nation without poetry is a nation that withers. Think about that. Why can I say that? Music. Music is poetry. Every country western song is three chords and the truth. There's two kinds of music, country and western. Right? Poetry is embedded into everything. If you, if you don't know how to read it, you are missing out big time. It's not incidental. You garnish on the plate of life. You can't be a well-educated person and not understand poetry. So parables and poetry are very similar. Here's why. They're condensed, highly polished distillations of truth. They've been boiled down, distilled down to the brevity of these words, and every word matters because it's, it has to fit in a meter, right? Iambic pentameter or whatever. It has to fit in a, way, in a structure. And so they're filled with meaning, but they make us work to hear it and understand it. That's what parables do. They require work and humility. I don't know. Well, you have to sit with it for a while. 
This is what poetry asks of us and demands of us. Sit with it for a while. Uh, my favorite poet is a former U.S. Poet Laureate, uh, Billy Collins. Uh, he's written so many great things, so many books of poetry. He's, he's a phenom. He's been a Poet Laureate twice, actually. Um, he wrote a poem called Introduction to Poetry. I love this poem, and let me read it to you. Uh, I asked them, he's talking about the students he teaches, I asked them to take a poem and hold it up to the light like a color slide or press an ear against its hive. I say, drop a mouse into a poem and watch him probe his way out. Or walk inside the poem's room and feel the walls for a light switch. I want them to water ski across the surface of a poem, waving at the author's name on the shore. But all they want to do is tie the poem to a chair with rope and torture a confession out of it. They begin beating it with a hose to find out what it really means. I ask them to take a parable and hold it up to the light like a color slide or press an ear against its hive. I say drop a mouse into a parable and watch him probe his way out or walk inside the parable's room and feel the walls for light switch. I want them to water ski across the surface of a parable waving at the author's name on the shore. But all they want to do is tie the parable to a chair with rope and torture a confession out of it. They begin beating it with a hose to find out what it really means. Powerful. Your life is like a poem or a parable. This is where it gets intensely personal, scary close. Your life is a poem. Your life is a parable. We're no longer just standing shoulder to shoulder saying, these are parables. We're now like this, face to face going, you are a parable. What does it say? What does it lead people? If your life is just a riddle, mm. but if your life is a parable, whoa. Your life is a parable. Why? Because it's filled with meaning requiring effort to understand on your part. And God's word and God's spirit are essential for unlocking and understanding the meaning of your life. It won't happen but for him. And so as you embrace and experience God's kingdom, the meaning of your life will come into focus. You go, oh, I get it. I can hear my life now. I can see my life now. And so Jesus is writing a story in you that expresses the truth of his kingdom in you. He's writing that story. Are you present to it? Are you opening your ears and eyes to your own story? The Bible is a lamp to our feet. Jesus is the light of the world. He says then, in him we all also are lights in the world. This is where it goes. So in this way, we are becoming a living, breathing parable of God's grace reflecting his goodness. And so as we experience life deeply in Christ, we naturally shed the light of God's kingdom on others and for others. Is that not amazing? You are a parable. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much that you want us to know you. You call us to be in relationship with you. You've broken down and overcome every barrier that keeps us from you. Death itself, the final barrier. Sin itself, the final barrier. You destroyed on the cross. You broke the power of sin and death over us. Your resurrection won the victory. The battle is yours. You've released your Holy Spirit into this world so that we could understand what it means to be part of your kingdom. You're preparing us for a new heaven and a new earth by teaching us to live the life we are living right now, right here, in this time and in this place. And so, Lord, we commit ourselves to you to understand the parables that you taught and to be the parable that you have created us to be. We pray this in Jesus's high and holy name. Amen. Well, let's continue worshiping the Lord as we uh, offer ourselves to him. You can give financially to the church in lots of ways. Uh, there's a box you can drop money into. You can send us money. Um, if you're going to send money, we send lots of it. Um, uh, but this is the time for you to offer you to the Lord. It's that kind of offering. So as the music is played, as you sing, let this be your response to what God has been perhaps saying to you through the music and the prayers and the message of the morning. Let's do that together.
Surrender yourself to God is not giving up on your life. It's giving Him first place in your life so that your life can be everything it's meant to be. Surrendering is not an act of humiliation. It's an act of humility. It's saying, Lord, if you created me, I guess you're the one who's going to show me how to live into the fullest expression of me. So surrender, in a funny way, is victory. Victory for you to leave behind everything that holds you back from God. And it's like coming home to the place where they know you and care for you and love you deeply. So as we surrender to him, we're simply saying, Lord, this is the way it's supposed to be. I'm in you, you're in me, and together we are engaging life in a way that um, is a parable that shines light on you wherever we go. If we can pray for you about anything that concerns you or that you're concerned about for yourself or anybody or anything else, after the worship service, go right around. There's a beautiful little garden. It's a prayer garden. There'll be people there who will pray for you. If you want to tell them what you need prayer for, great. If you just say, pray for me, they'll do that too. 
uh, get some coffee, something to eat, hang out and talk, get to know some people. So you've already, you're already close best friends after the opening this morning, right? Hi, everybody. Just continue that conversation. So now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord who loves you more than you can ask or even imagine give you everything you need to walk in newness and fullness of life with him, both now and forevermore. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.